0: Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Covering Angie's rival university's mascot, the wolverine. We've been hinting at this one for a while, so it's. it's... What can they teach us?
1: All of their eating habits, because really they do it all, besides eating carrion and scavenging, like Chris mentioned.
0: Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is
1: Chris. And I'm Angie.
0: So do you want to make an announcement before we get rolling? Because we haven't told the general audience yet. Oh, b- your, of your why condition. So-
1: <laughs> <laughs> The condition of my condition of why I sound like I'm gasping for air when I'm just talking and laughing on this podcast.
0: Yes, Yes, we haven't made a formal announcement yet, but do you want to?
1: Sure. Yes. So okay. the exciting news for me and my family in this year of 2020 and now 2021 mm-hmm. is that we are expecting a child, and I'm seven and a half months heavily pregnant now. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> but so far not slowing down too much. I've been tracking my steps, and I'm I'm mm-hmm, still close mm-hmm. to twenty thousand a day. So dang. Yeah, you're busy. Yeah, busy, busy girl doing horse farm chores, and of course chasing mm-hmm. the other kids around and walking in. Walking the pup and just doing all sorts of fun things. But yes, it's very exciting. We're excited. Uh, As we all know, the year of 2020 was challenging for so many people in so many different ways that we can't even, I can't even begin to think about or really truly express. And so it was our little gift, our positive thing in 2020 that's now gonna join us in 2021. And as tradition has it, in our family, we do not know the sex or the gender of the baby. Mm So uh, we shall see. I like to be surprised. I actually have the gender in my inbox from the different various various tests and ultrasound, and I, so yeah. uh, I haven't opened them, which drives my family and my close friends bonkers. But <laughs> <laughs> we can take some bets as it gets closer. I, yeah. I I'm feeling another boy. Obviously, mm-hmm. a girl would be fun, but I just want healthy and happy and easy. Yeah, easy. Yeah. So.
0: Yep, 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 yep. We've been having fun and it's just time to tell because, you know, Angie's going to be, you know, due in in about six, seven weeks. So we've got things planned to cover the podcast, but, you know, we just want to let the audience know and all the fans know that Angie's expecting her third, which Mm -hmm. I'm very excited for. So congrats to you and John. Thank you. Amazing parents, amazing family.
1: And John doesn't know this, but I've also volunteered him if he, if you want to, if, if you want to host with him, or I know our buddy Corbin, I'm sure would, mm-hmm. would cover for me for an episode yeah. or, uh, or two. And then, of course, we have a lot of our, our, and, of course, we have a lot of our All Creatures Kids podcast stars mm-hmm. that I'm sure would be willing, to to entertain us for a while, if need be. Yeah,
0: so. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're making plans. We're making plans. So uh, we'll, we'll keep releasing uh, episodes why Angie has her baby and recovers.
1: But, yes, Chris, the physiology of pregnancy is just a whole different show for a different <laughs> podcast. Yes, <laughs> and- yes. A lot of my girlfriends, like Danielle and Jesse, that uh, have been are pregnant or have been pregnant recently, we've just been yeah. chit chatting a lot about the uh, the interesting uh, physiological changes to our bodies Adoptions, and all this. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty it's it's incredible. So, and as we talk about uh, pregnancy and all sorts of things on this podcast, I have new sympathy for animals like the elephant.
0: And other mm. really, really long gestating <laughs> animals. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a long time. Well, the orca, you know, today,
1: the giraffe. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, today we're covering Angie's rival university's mascot, the Wolverine. We've yes. been hinting at this one for a while, so it's it's apropos, right, for uh, you coming out with your pregnancy recovery. <laughs> the, the, the mascot that you don't like, but an animal that you love. That you love.
1: Yes, being from Michigan, you're pretty much either a University of Michigan Wolverine fan or a Michigan State Spartan fan. I am the latter. I went to Michigan Mm -hmm. State. It's my alma mater. I loved it there. Um, I got to give a big shout out to my fellow Spartans. Sorry about talking about Wolverines, but they're they're a really cool creature. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say hi to uh, Aaron and Mary and Cassie and Sarah and Sammy and just uh, all my buddies there at Michigan State. Go Green. But yes, we'll be talking about wolverines all day. Unfortunately, the Spartan is not a creature that I can cover, no. or, I, <laughs> no, no, or I would. No. And, and the wolverine is actually like the state mammal of Michigan. And we'll talk about some mm-hmm. more fun facts uh, as far as the wolverine and pop culture and here in North America and things like mm-hmm. that. But it is just a really dynamic, fun creature. Oh, it's not a winter hardy yeah. creature uh, yeah. for us in the Northern Hemisphere, where it's still our winter time it's just cool. I mean, I had a lot of fun prepping for this podcast, even though once again, uh, uh, I am, I'm not a Wolverine fan when it comes to sports <laughs> and teams sports. and colleges. Okay. Well, but I I have to say though, Mich- the university of Michigan yeah. has a phenomenal zoology program, yeah, uh, yeah. and they do amazing research as well in their yeah, department yeah. of zoology. So I think Michigan state's a little bit better cause that's where I went, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure some scholars would disagree with me. So, yeah, I know, uh, yeah.
0: well, I love them because not because of the university of Michigan. I have no ties there whatsoever. So I support Angie go green it's, they're a mustelid uh, we're back to mustelids. This is my favorite family of animals. I just, every time we cover them, they're charismatic, they're hilarious. Honey badger. Don't care. No, it's still <laughs> my favorite. I go back to episode 10, episode 10 is still my all time favorite because that's really where just the love of doing this podcast just was like, started when i was talking about that animal and just how ridiculous they are they're amazing and, yeah yeah and this guy's just up there this is the largest of the pack i mean this is the largest of all the mustelids
1: yes oh and it's just unmistakable in appearance and mm-hmm. and uh notorious for its personality and aggressiveness mm-hmm. i mean honestly i get a view of him credit because it, it is a pretty awesome mascot as far as yeah. like being tough and ferocious, and having uh, other other people be scared of you.
0: <laughs> yes, so. yes, yes, yes. I mean, just some of their names. I mean, okay, so a lot of it started with gluttony because they just the way they ate. So they called them gluttons. Uh, so you know they they were known as a glutton, and that's in their scientific name too. But woods devil, Indian devil, so nasty cat, skunk, skunk bear. bear.
1: Oh, jinx! <laughs> yeah, there we go. Quick, I, I have Quick Hatch, Caracajou. So, yeah, yeah lots it's of
0: different names. Yeah, yeah well, we like and, Wolverine. It,
1: and for those of you that are not familiar with a Wolverine, I totally understand. Uh, we'll put some pictures on our show notes, but it really is this incredible cross between a dog, a skunk, a bear. Uh, it's got short legs, long, long, pretentious, fluffy hair, and then elongated snouts. It's just really cool. It's a really cool yeah. looking animal. And we'll do a little bit better justice for it when we get to that section. But it's powerful adaptations to be the hunter and scavenger that it is. is That's the section I'm looking forward to the most in this podcast, talking about yeah. how they acquire food. Because the wolverine scientific name, gulo gulo, comes from the Latin word glutton, researchers think. Uh, but we'll find out in this podcast is Yes, they definitely can eat, and they can. They've got powerful jaws, just like the honey badger, and they can crush bone. And they're just incredible consumers of meat and flesh and bone. But they do some really unique behaviors that I would argue that they're not a glutton. So I think our listeners will really enjoy the nutrition and uh, hunting kind of behaviors. Mm-hmm.
0: No, just really quickly, I just want to give a shout out to Melanie for her nice message on Patreon, you know, wishing Angie all the best because we did announce it to our Patreon supporters that Angie was pregnant and she really enjoyed the the, the bonus quiz episode up there because trying to remember all these facts, like even we were stumped uh, a few of the times. I also want to welcome Shania and Ryan. To Patreon, thank you both so much. You know we're gonna definitely get some more content out there, and, and you're supporting conservation and education. So thank you so much. And then just a quick reminder: if you are horse crazy like Angie and I are, uh, I have another podcast that we started. It's called the Equine Connection, and really talks about physiology and nutrition. Short twenty minute episodes each week. So just check that out and give me some feedback. Let me know what you think about it. it, it it's it's definitely different from this one. So thank you for anybody that that's interested in that one. So Angie, you're talking about this skunk bear. So what? Good luck describing this thing. I mean, I see different pictures of it, and you know, I just will say the size so people can start doing this, and I'll come in with the weights and stuff. But is medium sized dog size? Okay, so that's what that's what you're looking at.
1: Well, yeah, and they're just really stocky, muscular, and furry. And they have these short, powerful legs too. So I think of a badger. If you're familiar with badgers, the body, the build is somewhat similar. Uh, because some say, "Oh, it's a dog-sized weasel," and I'm like, "Well, weasel? No, weasels are too thin. This is just has m- more, much more of a broad back and just big feet, which I have a whole section on their feet, which we'll talk about." But I think what separates them somewhat from a typical badger besides their size and being the largest in the family is that they have this elongated snout, which probably is why we say dog-like or skunk-like, which is probably where the dog-like comparison comes into. And in their face, they have a very distinctive mask of fur around their eyes and their forehead with stripes of blonde cream or ivory colored fur. That basically runs from the animal's shoulder to the animal's tail. And so with their base color being dark brown, black, grayish in color. And then, like I said, they had this patch of fur, this stripe that runs down this from their shoulders down their tail on each side with black in the middle. That's probably where the skunk relation comes into right, I, I right, think it's more right. of the the coloration pattern. It's different than the skunk for sure, but somewhat similar. Also highlighting their mostly black, brownish colored bodies is going to be a white patch that a lot of them will have on their chest. And then as I mentioned, the the snout's going to be black and then they're going to have this cream mask and tip of their little, they have little round ears that are super adorable and a very prominent tail. And all this fur is really, really long uh, to help insulate them in the cold climates that they live in.
0: Uh, they're just they're unique they're a unique mustelid. yeah i didn't do them justice
1: (laughs) all my my michigan state fans are like great job angie you made them sound ridiculous
0: (laughs) 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 they just you got to look at a picture of them and then you can see some of the mustelid characteristics in them but yeah they do look like a little bear or a bear dog yeah it's just so unique. I mean, it, it, just to give you some sizes, so average weights can be as low as twenty pounds, up to fifty-five pounds, or up to twenty-five kilograms. So that's 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 hefty for a mustelid. Yes, and lengths, body lengths can go up to forty-two inches long, or hundred centimeters, and then you have the like a twelve-inch tail or a 20, 25 centimeter tail. So, and then obviously there's a little sexual dimorphism. Females are about a third smaller than the males. But you know they're, they're they're not tiny. These aren't tiny little. No, that's or where I think ferrets.
1: we we all a lot of us are familiar with our our canine dog friends at home, and so when you think of like a small, medium, large sized dog, this is definitely in the medium category.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, It's got. Weight. They can
1: approach on the large category. So
0: yes. yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, and yeah, they're just sure,
1: a really sure. muscular build too. It's very very stocky. Not. Like a weasel, I think of like slender, or, or most mm-hmm. mustelids, I think is you know mm-hmm. barreting around, slender things like that. Mm-hmm. This guy is not the case, or gales no. either.
0: No, 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 no. They've 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 definitely stocky. Got stuff on them now. Now they range. We did say North America, right? But they're circumpolar, so you do have them in Asia and Europe. Now in the United States, their range is really interested, and it's obviously changed with human influence. So you're talking from Alaska down into California. So there's pockets of them in California. Even read that they spotted him in Yosemite, which is about central California. And then they go up into obviously Canada, Alberta, British Columbia, that area. I didn't see where they're ranging in Michigan, Angie.
1: (laughs) Funny you should bring that up. (laughs) Yes. uh, Michigan is technically known as the Wolverine State. And mm-hmm. like I said, University of Michigan, the Wolverines are mascot and all this and that. Well, but come to find out that Wolverine sightings in Michigan are very, very rare. And it's not considered part of their natural habitat. In 2004, there was a confirmed sighting. And that was the first time in over 200 years. hmm And the only one. So. Yeah. It's really interesting that Michigan has been dubbed the Wolverine State because, of course, we're cold. They could live there. They should live there. But historians think that the Wolverine State and tradition and things like that might have actually come through the trades that happened hundreds of years ago in the 18th century as far as the fur trade uh, around Sault Ste. Marie and then in the Detroit area. And as we'll touch on in this podcast, Wolverines were really – well-known for their fur pellet and hunted big time. And um, so that that's maybe where the, it came from. Right, right, right. So, yes.
0: It's interesting, yeah. yeah. You're really
1: probably not, unfortunately, uh, at this point, you're probably not going to be able to see a wolverine in Michigan or northern Michigan. Um, but it's really cool that they have been seen in California more recently mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because I think – because I'm sure you'll talk about an evolution, but I would presume that their range was much, much bigger than it is now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And for as ferocious and tough and just an amazing like hunter and scavenger, uh, that the Wolverine is, they need a huge territory in order to roam and find their prey and stay happy and healthy. And so because of this expansion of land that they need, uh, as we talk about a lot in this podcast, there's just not a ton of that <laughs> anymore, unfortunately, because of urbanization.
0: Right, right. I mean, it's you, you talk about territory size, you're looking at 240 square miles or 620 square kilometers for That's a male. That's
1: a lot. That's a lot.
0: Yeah, that, that overlaps some of the female ranges, which are 100 square miles or 260 kilometers. So. It's uh, huge ranges. And, and then just in Asia, just to let you know that in Siberia, but down to Mongolia and China, you know, and then all the way into Northern Europe is, is where they're found there. But just a, a fascinating animal, Angie. I mean, the, the, the ecological niche, when I thought about it, the number one thing is, you know, part of their eating habits is, is a carrion eater. So they, they will go and eat caribou and deer and things that, that are dead. So we've talked about some of these species, especially some of the the birds, but again, nature's cleanup crew. Here is an animal that will eat some rotting flesh, help clean it up, help reduce the spread of disease. They have a specific niche, so they're critical to the food web. I mean, they play a big part, not only as a predator, but also as a, as a carry-on eater.
1: Absolutely, Chris. And I think when we get to nutrition, we talk about all of their eating habits because really they do it all besides eating carrion and scavenging, like Chris mentioned, they also hunt too. So they don't have a ton of natural predators, but they can prey on several smaller animals and fulfill that niche in the food rep too, is making sure there's not too many rabbits or voles or small, small prey like that. And so keeping that population in check. And when you think of wolverines, another big reason to care about them, besides some of these cool roles that they have in a food web, is that they're a really important part of the ecosystems, the niches that they live in, in northern climates, and they can actually act as a great ambassador to these really remote and beautiful boreal places, these wild spaces. And help direct our attention to some of the global climate change issues that are happening in those regions.
0: Yeah. Well, you're talking about climate change, right? So, obviously, the number one. Uh, this is the number one enemy for Wolverines. And and I, I dug besides
1: the Michigan state Spartans. (laughs) Sorry.
0: (laughs) sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't want to beat this, this, this horse into the ground too much. Right. I mean, anybody that listens to this podcast, we've talked about climate change. Anytime we go to the polls, we definitely talk about climate change, but I had to address it again this, this, this week because it is the number one, challenge for Wolverines. It, it just is. And so I found an interesting article because it was, it was just talking about temperature changes and this came up in the quiz show, but I want to ask you, Angie, what's the hottest weather you've ever experienced besides the hot, humid 90 something degrees in Florida with 90 degree, 90% humidity, you know, what's the hottest day you've ever experienced?
1: Um, I would be out West in death, mm-hmm. death Valley wow. area. Uh, yes. I didn't I wasn't trying to go there, but we were driving from from LA to Las Vegas. Yes. And we yes. were we're in my friend Tristy's car, and one of my fellow Spartan buddies, Aaron, was with us. So us three girls were on a road trip. And Tristy's car's air conditioner couldn't work because it was so hot outside. Oh gosh. It was in the <laughs> hundreds. Uh I, yes. I don't know how yeah. hot, okay. but and so and I think it's only like a four or five hour drive. You're probably familiar with LA to Vegas. Yeah. Uh, it's not too
0: bad. It's, it's not too yet. bad,
1: but it's pretty remote. And it's and pretty it's hot. hot it's very hot. And the pavement, and there's like no shade. And so we're in this like, I don't, I think it was I don't, a Jeep Cherokee. I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. But they, those two girls were up in front and I was in the back and they, and, and we realized that we couldn't turn the air conditioning on because the car was going to overheat and we didn't want to overheat and get stranded because mm-hmm. this is, yes. unfortunately, I'm going to date myself and my girlfriends, Tristan and Erin, sorry, but there weren't cell phones back then or if they were, <laughs> they, were they were like in the car. So we just didn't want to yes. get stranded. It was not yeah. where we wanted to be. So we turned the air conditioning off and it was so yep. hot out. That we realized it was better to keep the windows of the car rolled up oh,
0: than God. putting it
1: than cracking it because then it was like hot oven air blasting in your face. Yes. <laughs> so yes. we just basically hot boxed it with the windows like rolled up, <laughs> just sweating for hours, just sweating and sweating and sweating. Yes, and it, and I'm ever the optimist. My friends know that uh, I love to make jokes and I love making people laugh. And so these girls are driving and I'm in the back and they're Mm -hmm. frustrated and uh, we're all semi complaining. But then I said this really funny thing. I was like, girls, I'm like, breathe on yourself. Like, you know, put, put wind (laughs) on your hand. It's colder. (laughs) And so we're we're like, so now we're, they're driving. We're like huffing our own breath on our bodies (laughs) to cool our bodies off. It was a crazy nightmare, a fun story. We did make it. The car was fine. Once we got to a normal climate, the air conditioning worked Mm -hmm. fine. Uh, So I would say, I don't know how hot we, we are core hundreds. It was definitely in the hundreds and it was not something I wanted to really ever do again. And in fact, my girlfriend, Erin still swears by hot yoga. And I told her, I'm like, no, after that experience to Vegas,
0: (laughs) (laughs) no, I I
1: haven't, I haven't done hot yoga.
0: All right, all right, all right. So yeah, two years ago in Vegas in August, it was like 115. That was pretty, pretty bad. The hottest for me was 118, 48 degrees Celsius when I was in the army, in the Mojave Desert on maneuvers, sleeping during the day because I was the night captain. So I had to stay up all night. It was miserable, miserable. So the listeners listening to that, think of the hottest day you've ever experienced because that's where we're headed. And let me explain. So 2020 was the hottest year on record, tied with 2016. Scientists were surprised because we did have a La Nina event in the South Pacific off South America. And they thought it would help reduce some of those temperatures, but it didn't. Because what the La Nina does is it pushes warm water away from South America and pulls up some of that Antarctic cold. And that tends to have an impact, but it didn't. So, this year or last year, sorry, 2020, temps were 1.25 degrees Celsius above those measured in 1850 and 1900. So, currently, globally, temperatures are one and a half degrees Celsius above normal, or that's where we're headed. This is the new norm, right? This hot weather is the new norm. And when I say that, Scientists say that's only if we take action now. Now, we have started right. some of it with some mm-hmm. of these climate change agreements. But if we don't work hard, we will. Uh, it will keep going up. So if we don't do anything right now, scientists are predicting that global temperatures will rise on average four degrees Celsius by the 2060s. So what that means is 100 degree heat is becoming the norm for billions of people day in, day out. And I'm going to get there in a minute because what's interesting about this, and we've talked about this in this podcast is the warming trends are not uniform across the planet. Yeah. Right. On average, it's going to go up this much, but there's certain regions. And we just talked about this in, in Asia. In certain regions, it's going to be impacted more because of geography, right? And, and the way the climate works. So hot spots are the Arctic, central Brazil Mediterranean and the mainland US. So we're going to, for for us humans, we're definitely going to see impacts on agriculture. It affects crops. So our food supply is going to be definitely impacted, but we look at it from the wildlife perspective. So that's where it comes in, (laughs) worried about the Wolverine. So what scientists are predicting with this is it's going to be common to see see days of 100 degree Fahrenheit or 38 degrees C, uh, if not more, with about 30% humidity around the planet. And what it gets them concerned, especially for humans, is that's lethal in in many parts of the world that don't have air conditioning. You know, they can't cool off. So every time there's a heat wave in the news, you hear about a lot of people passing away because it's so hot. Oh, yes. No,
1: I Uh, Living in Chicago for many years uh, where a lot of the the architecture and the buildings are older Mm -hmm. and they don't have air conditioning built Mm -hmm. inside of it. Some people will put window units in, but not everybody can afford to do that. And when it gets really warm there, it can be really dangerous for some of the elderly people and things like that. And and for Chicago, then that's short lived. That's like a day or two. I couldn't imagine in areas where it's more pronounced and be for longer periods. Because that's the thing. I had to make it from LA to Vegas. I had four to five hours. hours. I was in the prime of my youth. I had bottled water. We were fine. But I couldn't imagine living like that.
0: Every day. Every day. And millions, not millions, billions of people around the planet will have to suffer through that. So when we turn it to wildlife, you know, the, the one species we talked about in the quiz show, and then go back to that episode on the moose is the grave concern because moose can't survive where temps remain above 85 degrees Fahrenheit or 29 degrees Celsius because it's too hot. They can't sweat. They've adapted, you know, for thousands. They tens didn't of need to sweat, right? Yeah. No, no. So for the wolverine, it's going to be even even more drastic with like reproduction. Angie's going to get to that, but they really depend on this snowpack for their survival you know building dens things like that. So as that snowpack disappears as the earth continues to warm, it's going to definitely impact the wolverine without a doubt. Yes, without and
1: doubt. I uh absolutely Chris, and one of my first conservation groups just a quick shout out to mention here is here is actually the Defenders of Wildlife. Uh you can they can be found at defenders.org and one of the species they've turned their attention to is the wolverine. Because although the IUCN declares that the wolverine is least concerned. Researchers know that wolverines need this huge area to move back and forth for hunting and breeding grounds, and a lot of that wild is under threat due to human activity, due to climate change, and and other things. So the defenders of wildlife are actively always petitioning for the Wolverine to be placed on the Endangered Species Act in the United States. Currently, it is not. Uh, Due to all of its habitat needs and due to the fact that the Wolverine is kind of an ambassador for some of these colder climates. So Mm -hmm. check them out. Mm -hmm. They're a great group. We need to get somebody from the Defenders of Wildlife uh, on our our show to talk to because, of course, they can talk all the legalese and explain Mm -hmm. it a little Mm -hmm. bit better to us, but Yeah, Yeah. it is. The Wolverine, for that matter, uh, they're tough and ferocious, but they also need us humans to take a lot of action because they're not going to stick around uh, much longer if we don't save them. And if we save them, we'll probably help save ourselves, too.
0: Well, and I'll I'll tell you, in New Zealand, they're having one of the hottest summers they, they can remember it's, it's, it's hot every day in the sun, in the Southern hemisphere, just the, the radiation from it is more intense. So you feel it more. So even though it was 81, 82, the other day, it was boiling. It felt like 90 to hundred in the U S so the, this is the new norm. This is the new norm. And this is why we have to take action. So do it for the moose, do it for the Wolverine, do it for the polar bear, the walrus, all those species that need it. Uh, so I'm going to run a little long in the beginning. So I'm going to pick up my pace a little bit to get through a little bit of this evolution. The Wolverine obviously is a carnivore. The family's mustelidae. So they're, they're in the mustelids. The genus is Gulo. As Angie said, their species name's Gulo-Gulo. They're the only species left. The others went extinct, you know, thousands of years ago. And they're the, there's no subspecies. It's just Gulo-Gulo. And that's their name. Now, mustelids, love them, love them. You know, it goes back to the myocids. That's the beginning of all carnivores 55 million years ago. We can trace our oldest known mustelid to about 30 million years ago during the Oligocene. But the mustelids really didn't boom or bloom, you know, really explode until about 14 million years ago. And there was this mid Miocene climate transition. Again, something that happened over thousands of years. But this is when the forests started to recede and we got more grasslands. So with more grasslands, you had more rodents and then lagomorphs, which are like the the rabbits Rabbits, and things like that. Yeah. So they really boomed. So the mustelids was the main predator, you know, like our good old black footed ferret. Still, never forget if you haven't heard that episode, I think it's episode 14. Tap, 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 taps the prairie dog on the shoulder. Prairie dog sleeping, rolls over like in dreamland. And then gets, ah, in the throat with the black-footed ferret. Oh, my goodness. It's just nightmares.
1: Well, if you wake him up, you get better aim. I think that's the <laughs> It's just philosophy, sleeping, but Yes. You're this is asleep. why we do this podcast. There's some really oh. phenomenal moments, and that is definitely a classic <laughs> all-creatures podcast moment.
0: Tap, 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 tap. Oh, that's a great episode. All right. So our mustelids. So we, we did just say honey badger. So your weasels, your badgers, there's honey badgers, American badger, European, Asian, your otters, so your sea otters, your river otters, your ferrets, your martins, your minks, and then your wolverines. Then you have things like the greasin, then the polecat in Africa. So maybe some species we can can look at. Now, the closest relative to the wolverine, because it's its own genus, is but some of the closest ones are the martins so the american martin the european pine martin japanese martin uh the fisher another of its own genus and then the the terra so so it's a big family over 50 species in mustelids so we have plenty to talk about i was gonna say we
1: could just do a podcast on this family
0: yeah now okay so that was quick so Getting into some physiology in in, in the Wolverine. Not long lives, Angie. Seven to 12 years in the wild. That is for a predator. I guess that's on average, right? Seven to 12?
1: Yeah, Yeah. yeah, that's about average. Uh, Of course, they can live up. Of course, under human care, they can live longer. Uh, I think one of the records is like 17 years. But Mm -hmm. I was reading that one of their main causes of death is actually starvation. So not being able to find enough food in their home range. Uh, they can also be killed by trapping and, uh, and of course competitors like wolves, but that's not the main reason. A lot of time is just lack of, of resources. Food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lack of
0: food. like of food. It's tough out there in the wild. I mean, it's brutal. It's really tough, you know, and all these animals.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know? Especially yeah. in this terrain too, that they're in. And, oh yeah. Uh, once again, when we cover how their eating habits and how they hunt and find food, it's just incredible. Cause it's, it's not like they're in the, Arctic where it's like there's no trees or anything, but still being in the subarctic boreal forest, it's, it's very harsh.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's a tough life for them out there. Some of the, the unique stuff though about them, their teeth, there's some uniqueness. Their last molars are turned 90 degrees, which is important for them to crush bone and frozen meat. So carrion, you think of them eating carrion and it's frozen. They just chew right through it. Like, oh, it's um, like a um, yeah, um,
1: bone popsicle. Yeah. Science, <laughs> sign them up.
0: Yeah, they love it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they well, love it. Well, and that's what re- reminded me of honey badgers because honey badgers are pretty good too at
0: crushing bones, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Honey badgers are, honey badgers are the best. <laughs> just the best. They don't care. Honey badgers don't care. Oh, Mustelists love them. Uh, some other things like them. Okay, so... Uh, they're they first hydrophobic, so that helps them stay warm and repel water and frost things like that. Their body, if you look at that squat, small legs, neck, ears. Their ears are really small. So again, and adorable. Look, I do have to say, yes, <laughs> so yes, hard. yes. But that goes back to like the Arctic fox and the mm-hmm. Fennec fox, where the the Fennec fox has those huge ears to help you know stay cool, where the Arctic fox has these adaptations to survive the poles wolverines their body's adapted so they have this squat heavy round body which helps them preserve body heat you know mm-hmm. less ways to to lose body heat but their feet are big i did read that like snowshoes
1: they, they are and you can really yeah. see it in the pictures i know you'll put them up on our show notes on our website but yeah i mean it's like wow look at those big paws that's all i couldn't yeah i couldn't stop thinking of that and so when you think about how tough and fierce they are when we talk about some of their hunting tactics, those big paws with semi-retractable claws aren't no joke. But in addition to that, what I found really fascinating is for locomotion, for movement, they use what's known as a semi-plantigrade form of locomotion where most of their weight's actually distributed on their metatarsals. And what this does is this keeps them low to the ground and helps distribute their weight better. When they're hunting and because of this better or more uniform snowshoe like weight distribution, when they are in the deep snow, wolverines are less likely to sink in the snow and therefore can run faster and often catch the larger prey that would, of course, sink in the snow and then have to hop in and out of if you think of maybe of of a caribou running that would slow them down. So, it's really this amazing adaptation to help them walk on snow, (laughs) right? Right. I mean, more or less, that's the visual I get. And when wolverines are on the move, they're actually known for the distance they can cover. They can go, like, 10 to 15 kilometers without stopping for a rest in the snow. like. Yeah. You try that? No way, right? No, oh no, my gosh! No, 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 no. Oh.
0: I tried to move through the snow. No way. Yeah. No
1: way. <laughs> now they're not the fastest, so their their speed's only going to be about fifteen kilometers. But yeah, I mean they they roam a lot, as we mentioned. They're big territories, and on average, they'll cover like fifty kilometers a day, which is just crazy. But what I also found fascinating, I definitely didn't know this about wolverines, is they can climb trees as well. And that mm-hmm. they're not—they're mainly terrestrial. They're not going to be arboreal mm-hmm. up in the trees, but they can climb them. And there's been documentation of them ambush hunting prey. Oh, wow. From trees. Oh wow!
0: Oh god, can you imagine? I know dropping? that. Oh. Even as,
1: even as a tough. So, Yes, Chris. Even as a tough Spartan, which is my background, my roots. <laughs> a Wolverine in a tree is not something I want to encounter in my life.
0: No, no, no. I bet you some of our listeners have, because we, you know, we have a great following in Canada. And I wonder if they, they could send us some stories about Wolverines and stuff that they've they've experienced with them. Because you're right. When you talk about hunting behavior and stuff. I mean, they are ferocious and you know, like we said, they do the rabbits and rodents. That's the primary their diet. We talked a bit about them being scavengers. I mean, you know, dead caribou, deer elk, especially in the winter. They, they, they have a credible sense of smell. They can smell them under the snow where they are. So they, they can sniff them out and yeah,
1: something crazy, like 20 feet under the snow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they just, they can smell it, you know, and they, and they know that that nasty, sweet, dead, rotten, you know, anybody walks by a dead animal, you're like, oh, something's not right there in the bushes. But they love it and they smell it and they, and they run out and get it. But I did read that they will eat some plants and fruit, though. So they are just opportunistic. Mm-hmm. Not That's definitely not part of the, the main part of their diet. I mean, they're mainly carnivores, but they will, like you said, if they're starving out there, they, they will turn to that.
1: Oh, yeah, Chris, their hunting and feeding abilities are probably one of my favorites that we've had so far recently on this podcast. Because, like you mentioned, they're scavengers. In one article I found, it said that they'll even follow, like, lynx and wolf trails. In one article I was reading, I mentioned that they would follow wolf or lynx trails, basically waiting to scavenge on their kills let alone being able to, to smell 20 feet down the snow and jackpot. There's a dead caribou that has, you know, has a lot of snow covering it. So it's keeping it fresh and crunching on those bone popsicles, that's incredible. But then they're also <laughs> straight up hunters. Uh, and, and usually their prey that they're going to hunt is typically smallish game. Like you mentioned, rabbits and squirrels and things like lemmings, things like that but they're also capable of taking down prey that's five times bigger than themselves. For instance, an ungulate there's reports out there that Wolverines have taken down caribou, roe deer, white deer, mule deer, sheep, goats, cattle, bison, moose, elk. So it's pretty incredible what ro- Wolverines can do. And although hunting big prey like that's not their main Uh, their main goal, it's usually probably for scavenging, but desperate times, desperate measures, they have all of the, they have the teeth and the claws and the overall muscular build to be able to do that. In fact, unfortunately for our little friend, reindeer, some of the captive reindeer, wolverines have been known to basically take down those for fun almost just because they can't escape. But I do want to talk about this whole glutton Uh, thing concept that uh, their scientific name potentially comes from and really interesting dietary adaptation that wolverines have is that they are known to cache that's c-a-c-h-e some of their food the squirrels will store the nuts for later on in the winter well wolverine researchers have found that they can actually use the snow as a refrigerator to help keep their food fresh that they either scavenged or they caught that way. When there is food shortage during a really hard winter storm or just lack of prey moving through the area that they have this food stored in their snow for it refrigerator to eat that eat when, when times are not plenty. Right. Right. And so for me, if I think of a glutton, that's not really what a glutton does. I I don't, Mm -hmm, I don't, I'm not very good at storing food. If I buy something yummy from the grocery store, it's pretty much gone like the next day or two. And then now I have my little boys that I'm, I, Mm -hmm. now I'm competing with them. (laughs) So it goes even quicker. So this, this intelligence and wherewithal and discipline to be able to store some of your caribou bones that you find or your lemmings that you take down is just to me a really incredible dietary adaptation that we don't really see a lot
0: no no not with carnivores either right like correct you know yeah you just don't see it it's just don't see it well before we jump into some other behaviors real quick the predators so obviously the wolverine is a predator but they do have enemies and angie already alluded to it their number one enemy is the gray wolf so there's many accounts of Wolverines being killed by wolves, even Wolverines abandoning territories because wolves have moved in. So, so they don't get along, but there is documentation of Brown bears a, a killing and eating Wolverines, maybe even a cougar. I think there's been a document of that. So the, the, the bigger predators are a threat to them. So Wolverines have to watch out, but, they're tough. I mean, they're tough like the honey badger. I mean, Well, tough. and
1: Chris, it's a very tricky web. That's why I, I always talk to my ecology students. That a food chain is somewhat outdated because it really is a food web. There's a lot of interconnectedness and a multiple species on multiple layers of the ecological pyramid. But I found a study talking exactly about wolves and wolverines. Uh, it was a 2008 study out of the Journal of Animal Ecology. And the title of it is Diet Shift of a Facultative Scavenger, the Wolverine, Following Recolonization of Wolves. And so what happened in this study is wolves were reintroduced to an area in the Scandinavia Peninsula during the late 1990s. So they ha- that was their historic range. They were wiped out. And then they were reintroduced back into that area. And so, of course, they were studying the predator-prey dynamics from when the wolves were not there and then when they are reintroduced. But one of the things that came up that the researchers thought was really fascinating is how the wolf's presence influenced Wolverine and Wolverine behavior. Because although, as you mentioned, Chris, the wolf does prey on the Wolverine sometimes having wolves in the area actually help Wolverine populations out Because it gave the wolverines more food to scavenge. So they had more carcasses and bones and things like that that were left over. So it helped their population more than hindered it because of some of their natural history dynamics and the way that the wolverine was able to maybe shift and be like, okay, I'm going to stay out of their way, but I'm Mm going to clean up mm -hmm. their leftovers.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. But they're not okay. Yeah. Interconnectedness that that's, that's a beautiful explanation though. I mean, it's like, we, we just, and that's what, that's, what's frustrating with conservation, you know, especially when we talk about wolves in the lower 48 and how people are so resistant. You know, we talked, we had the great wolf debate with Corbin uh, many pods ago and how those top predators are so critical maintaining balance. And when you remove them, things kind of go out of whack, you know, Yellowstone and, and the other studies that are coming out. So yeah, that's, that's amazing. But one of the things I love about this is mustelids is their fearlessness, their ferocity. So what are some of these beha- other behaviors that, that you see in these Wolverines? Well, Chris, we
1: think a lot alike. Cause right when I started researching for Wolverines and, Just their known behaviors of how big and tough they are. It got me thinking, well, which is tougher, a wolverine or a honey badger? Because we've covered the honey badger, and we know some of its gnarly adaptations it has to just be honey badger don't care, like super amazing.
0: So Maybe the wolverine. I don't know. That's a tough one. I know. know. So
1: that's kind of how I started playing around with this podcast. Just like, oh, you know, that's – I. my friends and i cuz yes we're dorks we always plays play like cage match like oh if it was you know this animal and that animal who would win or this person and that person so yeah with honey badger and wolverine it would be i mean it would be interesting of course there's no <laughs> there's no scientific data and since this is a science podcast i'll i'll leave our yeah, listeners yeah. to decide or maybe you can do an yeah. a fun instagram poll, poll. Yeah,
0: okay yeah that'd be fun yeah okay but okay. just to
1: give you some of the specs like size-wise wolverine is a little bit bigger uh, it does weigh a little bit more. Uh, technically, its jaws are slightly stronger, and it can run a little bit faster—not, um, but just but like a, by a few kilometers. Whereas the honey badger is known for its crafty, crafty ways, and can escape any enclosure, and just is like smarter <laughs> than humans sometimes. And that's a it's funny best. story Chris tells in the podcast.
0: Uh, it's the best. so it's
1: the they best. might be potentially more crafty and they also if you remember Chris honey badgers have that really loose skin so any predator that grabs it just shakes shakes them and shakes their skin but yeah. doesn't penetrate their skin
0: yeah and they can turn in it yeah
1: mm-hmm. they can turn and twist in it and things like yeah. that and then of course honey badgers can resist venom <laughs> not that a wolverine has it so that does that probably doesn't mm-hmm. factor and I just had to throw that out there right so anyways, there's those are the those are the the specs on them and uh yeah, they're both tough, they're amazing amazing mustelids. Uh So that was just kind of a fun one to think about and uh talk mm. about. I think personally, um the wolverine looks a little cuter and fluffier because of its more uh cold weather like features, yeah. which I I tend to prefer uh, where the honey badger, in my opinion, looks a little tougher, like it looks meaner. It does. <laughs> it <does. laughs> Not, so uh, anyways, that's a fun one to think about. But let's let's get yes. back to the Wolverines. So Wolverines yeah, yeah. are so Wolverines move around during the day, but they also move move around at nighttime. So they're a little bit of both. And a lot of their activity, whether it's during the day or nighttime, is going to depends sometimes on the seasonal lightness and darkness cycles of those more northern climates. So it's not, unfortunately, it's not as easy to say that they're nocturnal or they're diurnal. Uh, As I mentioned, they can climb trees. They love snow, even during severe weather. With those snowshoe-like feet, it's not a problem for the wolverine. Wolverine don't care. See, we can adapt Mm -hmm, it to that. mm -hmm. Uh, They are tough. And in fact, they don't hibernate, so they don't care it's cold out. They don't care there's a snowstorm. They're still going to hunt, dig in the snow, find their food, take down caribou, whatever it is. Uh, And they've been known to actually like attack black bears and wolves over food. So yeah, they don't, they're tough um, for sure. And then when it is really cold during the winter, as Chris mentioned, with like climate change and things like that, the females are going to construct a den or a nest to store their food and, of course to hide their young. And these dens can be constructed out of grass or leaves, or they can be kind of in rock crevices. Uh, And a lot of times they'll bury down into the snow too, depending on what time of year it is. There's a lot of documentation of play. So although they're ferocious and they get this kind of tough mean personality attached to them. Uh the young are very adorable to watch play, maybe if you think of like wolf pups playing or something like that. Uh and then they're also have been documented playing with object objects. So, okay. yeah, they are yeah, they're, they're curious uh creatures, that's mm-hmm. for sure.
0: And they're mustelid, of course they are. Of course they are. Yeah. They are. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're
1: and so they're generally solitary, so they're not, fa- not going to find a big pack of wolverines like uh, will happen if you go to a U- University of Michigan game or something like that. Uh, and basically, male and female only come together for mating uh, in the summertime, which is May to August in the Northern Hemisphere. And then, of course, mother and young will be together for a little while. I wanted to play a wolverine vocalization, but honestly, they're not super vocal. So they'll make grunts and growls and things like that when they're irritated, but nothing nothing really out of the normal. But Chris, a wolverine's main form of communication, typical to the mustelid family, as I'm sure you can guess, is going to come from scent marking or chemical communication. So they have very potent anal gland sacs that are used for marking territory and also for talk for males and females to talk to each other and use their romantic perfume when it's time for them to uh, breed with each other. So some people think that these, and the smell from the anal glands and the scent marking is where the name skunk bear comes from or nasty cat. I yeah, said yeah, that I yeah. thought maybe skunk bear had to do with the kind of like the cream white stripe that they had on their back, but I was wrong. I suppose it, it's probably due to this, this stinkiness. They stink.
0: <laughs> they're, 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 they're smelly.
1: But I might have to try this to keep my kids out of the refrigerator. They've been known to spray their food caches, their, their snow refrigerators, <laughs> in order to discourage other animals from finding it. <laughs> oh, God. So oh, that'll keep mistake. that'll yeah. keep Zachy out of the refrigerator because he's always up in there. He's always wanting meat and cheese. Yep, <laughs> and I'm like, yep, buddy, yep, yep. how about an apple? I've got some carrots. He's like, Yeah. So uh yeah, that's so funny. Uh, I love animals. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating.
0: All the must not take yourself too seriously, and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs>
1: Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer.
0: They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything, yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of
1: the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything.
0: And can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything
1: podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts.
0: It's interesting you talk about the caches because it doesn't that the, the, the snow and, and, and storing things <laughs> that does not play into reproduction and some of the things because when I was reading some of their challenges with climate change, like that's losing the snow is like going to have a huge impact on their reproductive success.
1: Oh, absolutely. If they don't, if the females do not get enough food that, that year and Chris and I haven't really dorked out out on it too much, but there's, there's all these internal cellular molecular pathways that are triggered either when you're in starvation mode or when you're in a glutton, like I'm totally full mode. And so And so when these molecular pathways are triggered because an animal is under starvation, reproduction will not happen. So the female will either not cycle, come into heat, she will not cycle. Or if she does and she is bred, a lot of times she will like lose the offspring. It'll reabsorb because her body just knows she doesn't have the fat stores to actually develop these embryos into kits, which is what uh, baby wolverines are called. So the breeding success of a wolverine is very dependent on the nutritional status. So, what's going on with the food? And what's going on with the food, as Chris and I had talked about earlier, has to do a lot with these food webs that are connected to the environmental climate and climate change. So, but on a good year where a female has had plenty to eat and she's been able to uh, cache some food, uh, breeding will happen, like I said, during the summer. Males and female wolverines will come together for several days. And, of course, their scent glands, which might be stinky to some people or other animals, <laughs> can become very attractive way to, to perfume, signal to perfume yeah. to one another that, Clone, yeah. uh, that this is my territory and you're welcome in it and things like that. But when male and female are hanging out together with their perfumes, it's actually females that will initiate breeding. So she's the one that... Helps decide. Okay, this is you know this is the male I'd like to be with, and research has even shown, although they're more po- they're somewhat polygamous, that males will form lifetime relationships with two or three females that he likes, uh, and occasionally, while other males might be left out. So if they don't have either. As wonderful of perfume or stinky, yes. <laughs> yeah, or selects, or they don't yeah. have no, they're not big enough, strong enough. They don't have a, they can't defend territory, uh, or they don't have a good nutritional status. And similar to other species we've talked about in muscle of the mustelid family, ovulation occurs with the act of breeding. So they're uh, it's thought they're thought to be what's known as induced ovulators, and then fertilization will occur. But in wolverines, Chris. The embryo will experience what's known as embryonic diapause, which we've talked about, where basically Mm -hmm. it's just like hitting the freeze button on development. Mm -hmm. And it will just hang out there in this this static state uh, of development for anywhere from 30 to 50 days to unfreeze and basically continue with the development and grow into a fetus and do a kit. And that's their gestation. So technically, the Wolverine gestation is only 30 to 50 days. However, conception to actual birth is anywhere from 120 to 272
0: days. Wow, that's long. So it
1: all depends on how long the embryo stays in diapause and when it finally decides to wake up and, and implant in the uterus and then start actually really developing. So just really cool adaptations. And a lot of this probably has to do with timing, weather, food sources, and things that, to be quite frank, us researchers are still learning about and trying yeah, to yeah. wrap our wrap our brains around. But after breeding the female, will then dig a den. Sometimes it can be 15 feet in the snow. Um, it just depends on where she lives and the time of year. And... The litter now is going to be born in January to April, and she'll typically give birth to about three kits, more or less, and each one only weighs 85 grams. So cute.
0: Mm-hmm. Tiny.
1: hmm. And the baby wolverines will be weaned when they're about three months old, and then they start foraging around five to seven months as they work towards independence. But Chris, what's really cool about Wolverine parenting is that the female will hide the young once they're born for sure in the dens and they stay down there and, and all of that. But the mother will, will really defend her territory and no intruders are allowed uh, And so she's tough. That's kind of where the Wolverine toughness can come from. And so we always joke and say, I'm a mama bear. So it might be more appropriate to say, like, I'm a Wolverine mama. uh, Because she's just really defensive of them. But as they start to get older, the female is going to help teach them some hunting techniques. Which is pretty cool. We see that in, in larger carnivores. We talk a lot, of course, with wolves and things like that. But I also learn that there's several Wolverine dads out there that are really good fathers. Yay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The female will allow or encourage the male Wolverines to make visits to the den until the offspring are weaned. And then studies have also shown that after weaning, once the Wolverines are out and about, either learning to hunt for mama and things like that, that they'll actually reconnect with the father sometimes and may, might even travel with them. So I just thought that was really, really interesting and and, a little bit different for other, from from other muscles. Yeah. yeah, Other muscles that we've covered. Uh, So yeah. And then sexual maturity for Wolverines will come around two to three years of age.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially if they only live to be seven, that's not long. at all. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, if you look at the conservation, I mean, like Angie already said, this, this is least concern. They were persecuted in the U.S., you know, trapped for fur, things like that. They had been coming back. They were up for consideration in the endangered Species Act. Obviously, this outgoing administration didn't approve that. So things may change in the next few years for them. Again, climate change is the one that is the the, the big Unknown right now, they're, they're estimating, you know, at the rate we're at within 30 years, about 30% of the wolverine habitat will be gone. Within 70 years, up to 60% of their habitat will be gone in the lower 48. So, you know, it's definitely going to have an impact on them. And, and the damage is already done. It's just a mad, matter of stopping that damage now. But you did mention Defenders of Wildlife. Was there another organization you wanted to talk about?
1: Yes. Defenders of Wildlife, of course, is an amazing organization that works to fight for a lot of species. But specifically for our Wolverine fans out there, there is the Wolverine Foundation. And they can be found at www.wolverinefoundation.org. And this group is a nonprofit that helps promote science-based management of wolverines across their global range. They can be found on Facebook, and on there is a list of all their activities that they do to help directly support wolverine conservation. So first and foremost, they provide grants for field studies, population monitoring, uh, laboratory studies, indigenous or cultural studies, um, and of course, research or help helping researchers publish their findings. So their website's really awesome. There's fun facts on there and it goes through everything, what, you, what they do and how you can help. So definitely go to Facebook or other social media sites and uh, give the Wolverine Foundation some love. We'll put their group up on our show notes so you can access them to learn more about their organization and how their help helping researchers learn more about Wolverines, how they live, where they live, and how to help protect them.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then just to, to help the planet, again, some conservation tips, some of these might, you might've heard before, but just, it's always worth uh, reiterating them. We got to reduce our energy consumption. So always turn off lights when you're not in a room, you know, it's something I do. I walk through the house. I, I keep the lights to a minimum as much as possible. Use natural lights. I've started to do this too. Use natural light as much as possible in the evening as the sun's going down. Open up curtains, let as much of that light in. Then when it gets darker, you know, go ahead and turn on the lights. Always worth turning off your computer electronics at night because they always suck energy if they're left on 24-7. But you know, just things that little things that we can all do. And there's thousands of us listening. If we all do it, we'll start making an impact. We got to get the millions doing it. And then the billions doing it. And we can make an impact on that. But anyways, Fun animal, Angie, congratulations on the baby. You know, I'm tickled. Like when you told me, I was just like, oh, I love you. I love you guys. I know you've always been one of
1: my biggest supporters. So I I appreciate
0: it. Uh, But yes,
1: it is exciting news. And of course it always gives me, and always gives me fun comparisons and things to talk about on the podcast when we get to behavior and physiology and things like that. So I appreciate all of our listeners, all of your support. And my only ask this week is if uh, you could go to iTunes, All Creatures Podcast, and give us a five-star rating and a couple words, glowing reviews. We haven't had any yet in 2021. So if you give us a mention, we will definitely give you a shout-out on the podcast and maybe some other fun things. So please do that. And thank you for listening. I love wolverines, this, the animal, but I have to say one more time, go green, go white. All right, go uh, green, go victory green. Victory for MSU, so. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, we'll be back next week with the new species. We've got a, a fun slate of animals coming your way, so stay tuned.
1: Thank you, everyone.
0: Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.